Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, sir? I'm better than I deserve, Conrad. I am better than I deserve, more than likely, so I'm good, feeling good, excited to get home tomorrow uh, as this is uh, being dropped. So I've been in uh, Jacksonville all month, pretty much, and have enjoyed every damn minute of it, quite frankly. And I'm glad to get back in the saddle and we've done a lot of good stuff this month on television. So I'm proud of everybody's efforts and I'm really even more proud that I got to participate in those efforts. So I'm good. I'm back in my element and I'll be home tomorrow and I can see my brand new master bath well, for, the fir- for the first time. I'm excited to, uh, to see your master bath. I'm sure we'll see it on social. And, uh, I was excited to see you on the pay-per-view, man. It's, uh, it's good to have a fun distraction. Hope everybody enjoyed AEW's double or nothing. Uh, today though, we're rolling the dice on a, a new venture. We've only done a handful of these watch alongs and we're doing another one today. And this is a, a fun raw it's raw from May 23rd, 2005. So we just passed the f- uh, 15 year anniversary of this. I picked it because this is the famous raw where you have Vince McMahon, Paul Heyman, and Eric Bischoff all in the same ring at the same time. And man, they're being pretty stiff with each other. So we're going to revisit this rather interesting raw and, uh, and have a little fun, but before we do, we should remind everybody that, uh, you just celebrated one heck of a milestone, I guess what in April with your book. And, and we're hoping that we're setting another record here in may as well. Right? Yeah. The, the uh, report I got back, uh, just, uh, hours before we recorded, uh, from Simon and Schuster is that they're ecstatic with the results of the book. We have sold an approximate numbers, but very close. Uh, about 20,000 books, uh, within the first month that, uh, under the black hat has been released. Uh, those are amazing numbers. Uh, and of course that is all basically online sales because most bookstores have not reopened. Exactly. So I think when the stores get reopened and people can get it about a little bit more normalcy that we'll see the sales, uh, from the hardcover, hard sales, so to speak at the Barnes and Noble and things of that nature, uh, pick up. And so, uh, that's some fingers are crossed, but I'm very grateful, very happy that the book is doing well. And we still have our, our offer where you get the personalized autograph and the custom bookmark and, and, and me paying your shipping in the lower 48, uh, that's still ongoing. JRSBBQ.com, JRSBBQ.com. And, uh, I'll tell you one thing it has been really good. It's been surprisingly good. I think it's because of our order fulfillment. Uh, my guy, Stephen link who works for me is, uh, you know, he'll get an order one day. He goes out the next pretty much. Uh, so it's a good, a good turnaround. We, we, we build our brand on customer service. So if you need barbecue sauce or things for the outside for grilling or inside, uh, you, you're in good shape. I just made some salmon the other day on my grill, trying to eat healthier. And I drizzled it at the end with that uh, jalapeno honey mustard, main event mustard. Unbelievable. There's so many uses. And I think that's the thing. I don't know about you. I did a lot of cooking. I do a lot of cooking and I'm trying new things. And that's kind of been the bonus of this ignorant ass, uh, you know, I'm not ignorant, but the, un, the unconventional, uh, you know, uh, isolation, the hunkering down thing. Uh, uh so I, I'm, uh, I'm kind of cool with that deal. So the, the, uh, sauces are doing good. The book is doing excellent. I appreciate everybody's business. I really and truly do. If I could hug you all, we can't do that. Can we, if I could elbow bump you. I would do, I would, because I really appreciate everybody's support. 
it's, it's really a tremendous book. I mean, I haven't seen one review that was anything less than stellar. I told you, gosh, back in February that I thought it was the best wrestling book ever written. And I still stand by that. I think everyone uh, would agree that it's certainly top three with Foley's original, of course, Bret Hart's book, but such a special story. So many stories that we haven't heard on the podcast or your live shows. Uh, and there's a, a common thread through the whole thing, which is your wife, Jan, and the book was sort of a tribute to her, but the, the stories that you share with Vince McMahon, they're unique to you. And, and those stories aren't going to be told if you don't tell them. And, and so I'm, I'm glad you did. And I hope fans who maybe have been on the fence about it will, uh, will take the leap and, and pick it up. Yeah. I think we're all doing things differently because of the quarantine. Uh, and I think reading has become cool again. I mean, people, I, I get so much feedback on, on Twitter at J R S B B Q, by the way, uh, that, uh, people say, well, this is the first book I've read in X years. I couldn't, you know, and so then they, the ones that bought, uh, under the black hat that didn't read Slavernocker now are going back and buying Slavernocker because they want to know the, the beginning of the story. Right. So it's been, it's worked out real well. I'm, I'm really happy we did the book and. Paul O'Brien's doing some media with us now too. And, and, uh, he's got some interesting stories to work with my crazy ass. I saw a thing the other day. He said, I'm fluent in, in JREs. Yeah. He's an Irish guy and he's listening to my colloquialisms from, uh, uh, from my upbringing, so to speak here in Oklahoma. So, uh, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan of Paul O'Brien and, and things are working out well. So, and, and I'm excited about today. I think this is going to be a fun show. I'll go back and preview it. I didn't watch it uh, frame by frame, but I did go back and preview it very thoroughly. And uh, it is an interesting night. It's kind of a historic night when you think of all the late 1990s power brokers in McMahon, Bischoff, and Heyman. Uh, that's uh, it's just so unique. But that that that's it wasn't a one trick pony show. No, there's some damn good stuff in this show. And the thing that I liked about it was the energy, the energy of Monday night raw before a big packed house with those stars in that era, that, that, that McMahon uh, thing in the ring was truly uh, a great example of what the attitude era was. It was conflicting things. It was controversial content. It was different. You broke the mold, started over. I, I liked that stuff. And I think the fans liked it too, because the ratings if you look at the ratings then and how many people are watching raw and how many people are watching raw now, there's a distinct difference and we can attribute some of that to the coronavirus. Obviously people are watching other things, I guess, but, uh, it was, it worked. That's all I can say. It worked. And uh, this is going to be a fun show to talk about. I'm excited to do it. Fire up your WWE network. It's raw from May 23rd, 2005. If you're on the network, just click raw then sort by year. Oh, five scroll down to you see May 23rd. And when you get there, go ahead and throw it on mute. And if you'd like turn on your closed captions, I'm going to give you a little bit of a countdown. I'll do three, two, one play. And when I say play, you press play, Jim, are you ready? I am ready, sir. All right, here we go. In three, two, one play the old iconic open. I'm going to track it here. How great is that to, uh, <laughs> just flash Eric Bischoff and the, the whole building fills with booze. Yeah, that's great, man. They, they fans emotionally invested the key ingredient 
to getting something over in pro wrestling is that the fans have to make, uh, a, an emotional investment. They can't be Geneva. They can't be Switzerland. They can't be neutral. And man, we had some controversial stuff there. The cold open featuring the, the ongoing saga with edge Lita Kane. I, I, I like that scenario that elevated all three of those people. Uh, Lita became a, a big star, you know, seeing Kane kiss Lita, the big old open mouth kiss was who the <laughs> hell, would've, who the hell would have thunk that. Right. And I also thought that edge and uh, Kane had great chemistry. So the cold open talks about what happened last week. Uh, the finals of the, of the gold rush tournament, uh, where Lita, who came out with Kane turned on him and, uh, gave the assist to, to edge that he needed to beat the big red machine. And, but I like those guys chemistry. They were good. And they were both, <clears throat> they both had had their, their shot at a main event level stuff, but, but sporadically, you know, Kane with undertaker and things of that nature. But then all of a sudden he's now a single star on his own and a baby face. Nonetheless, we show him getting beat here. He jumps off the top rope, lead it past the, uh, briefcase of money in the bank briefcase referee. Mike Cody had taken a ref bump. He didn't see it happen. Edge beats Kane and Lita smiling. Edge is smiling, licking his lips like I can't wait to get you at the Motel Six, uh, type thing. So it was a controversial beginning. <clears throat> and when you get in the cold open, it kind of shows that you've made it. because uh, that's just very rich territory, very high dollar real estate. You're the prime storyline if you're in that spot. And we should mention, by the way, behind the scenes, the crowd is ready for this in a major way. Uh, first of all, it probably took everybody a little bit of warming up for them to come around to the idea that Kane and, and Lita were really together. Uh, and, and we see Lita turn there, but the big story behind the scenes is you guys have released Matt Hardy because he's made an issue of this sort of love triangle with himself and edge and Lita. And so fans know that that edge in real life has, uh, well, caused some challenges for Matt Hardy and his relationship with Lita. And now Lita is with edge. So he has real life heat about this girl and they decide to go with it here and ta-da man. Edge is like super, super, super hated. Let's track it here. Oh, look at this. Oh, there it is. Oh, look at this pair. Edge and Lita. And you saw at the top of the broadcast how the finals of the Gold Rush Tournament went down last week. Indeed, Edge won the tournament, but certainly, certainly not without major assistance from Kane's wife, Lita. Ah, oh, she's a two-timer. She's a backstabber. She's a home wrecker. You can take that to the bank. I love that we're sort of letting the storyline mirror. Oh, she's a two-timer. She's a home wrecker. And now, of course. They're referring to Kane, not Matt Hardy, but fans know. And of course, Matt Hardy is going to come back in and, and do some business with this. And it's sort of interesting to look back at this because this is really edges climb to fame here. That briefcase that he's toting around is the original money in the bank that he won at WrestleMania. And we know he's going to cash in and beat John Cena for it later in the year, I guess the beginning of the next year, but it's, uh, Oh, five is when, when Ed sort of comes into his own, I think as a character, would you agree? Yeah, no doubt. And I'm very proud of him. You know, I signed he and Jay Resso, AKA Christian, uh, from the Indies in the Toronto or Ontario more specifically. And, uh, I remember their first weekly contract was $210 a week. I have no goddamn clue. how I got to 210, 
but uh, it may have been a conversion thing with the money. I don't have a clue, but they just wanted Jersey, man. They just wanted to play those two guys. They'd, they'd labored in the Indies, not a lot of money, a lot of hard work for, for low pay, but they were ready. When, uh, they were, when we got them signed and brought them into our, our camp with, uh, with Dory Jr. and Tom Pritchard, uh, they were fundamentally sound. They just needed to get the psychology better. Uh, get a little bit more used to transitions and things of that nature and you know, bottom line, improve their game. But boy, this, uh, leader was, uh, she gets, she doesn't get the credit for this thing being as good as it was because she was a heat magnet, man, her promo people were booing, you know, the, the, the crowd was, had their signs up. They were excited. They were as excited as they were. If they were at a game at Lambeau field, just was, which was next door. Yeah. Lita is a very underrated performer. I mean, she was, uh, she wasn't just a wrestler. She was a character. And, and a lot of times the, uh, the female characters that we see in wrestling, we sort of get a a one dimensional view of them. That's not the story with, with Lita. I mean, Lita had storylines, uh, and uh, a very, very unique look and was really, uh, one of the first ladies to take big high risks like the moonsault. And man, Mm -hmm. she was as popular as the, uh, the Hardy boys when they were a pair and we see how that's uh, sort of span off into this now. Yeah. She spun off of that deal into this thing with edge seamlessly. Uh, you know, she later had that great background from working some for working for a long time, uh, in Mexico. So all the Lucha Libra like things that she could execute, she did, and she did it very, very well, but she had a great sex appeal. I remember meeting her for the first time when I interviewed her, uh, in my office in Stanford and, uh, she had a. I remember it like it was yesterday, Connor. It's really strange. She was wearing like a lime green or tan, kind of a, 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 a lighter colored business suit. Like you'd see a female lawyer wearing. And so, uh, I remember, uh, just bullshitting her about, Hey, I heard you got a little tattoo. <laughs> she had that big tattoo on her shoulder and her upper right arm. And so, uh, she said, Oh, is that going to be a problem? I said, no, nah, I'm just kidding. And so she, cause she had already taken her, her, her jacket off to show me what the tattoo looked like, you know, to make sure it wasn't like a Ludwig Borger with an SS tattoo or something stupid. Uh, but she was, uh, she was, a, she was an individual, man. She was an individual, an original individual. And so I had, a, I've always had great respect for her. I, I broadcast the first, uh, May young tournament with her, uh, don't know that either one of us did our best work there just simply because it was a kind of a rush deal. And <clears throat> we had to go redo all the matches uh, over again. Uh, and we did, but so she was, she's just always been a real student of the game and, um, I'm glad she's healthy now and doing well. It seems like she's doing well, never anything negative about her. So I was, I was a big leader fan and I'm glad that she was, I'm glad I hired her cause she made her, she made herself a good, some good money. And, uh, is she in the hall of fame, Conrad? Yes, she is. So there you go. I mean, that's another feather in my cap for being able to, for us to see a, another potential, all both as, as we're looking at this Lita's doing her promo Edge is going to take the microphone. Both of them are in the hall of fame. Both of them start out at low in, in low entry pay people. So they, all they wanted was an opportunity. You hear that so much in life nowadays. I just want an opportunity. Well, they wanted an opportunity and they were willing to work their asses off to make sure that opportunity manifested itself into success, which is quite frankly, a code word for money. They both made a good living in WWE. And I'm very proud that at least I had a small role in helping facilitate that. 
By the way, the fans are all over Lita here to the point that when Edge gets the mic, he says, you can, uh, you can call her a slut if you want to, but she's my slut. And it's just hard to believe that this is on the air 15 years ago to, to give you a frame of reference, by the way, Edge is 31 here. Matt Hardy, who's watching from home is, uh, is, is, is 30 and he was none too happy with raw the week before and, uh, took to his website to write that he's not going to be watching the show anymore. He says, I obviously see why the company did it, but that doesn't mean it was a, a good moral or business decision. I won't be watching raw anymore on Monday nights as I refuse to support a situation that has wronged me so what so much. If you do watch or attend the live shows, now is the time to chant for me. If you'd like. <laughs> so, oh, oh, master the ever, the entrepreneur promoter. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's encouraging people to chant. You screwed Matt or we want Matt. And, uh, we know it's going to pay off. I mean, he winds up, he found himself released over this situation, but he made enough noise and got enough fans mobilized that you guys brought him back. So in a weird way, this is one of the first times that WWE maybe sort of changed course and changed direction based on internet perspective. And Bruce would say, no, that wasn't it. It was the live crowd perspective and the, the crazy chance and support that he was getting. But it is, uh, it's interesting to see it in this era, how, you know, in 05, Matt writing things online was enough to get fans behind him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, smart marketing by, by Matt Hardy, who I'm yeah. so happy that he's an AEW now, uh, and he's better than ever because he's in a good place in his life. He's got three kids. He's saved some money. Uh, he had, he's had a great run and I fully expect uh, Matt to finish his career in AEW somewhere down the line and, uh, and remain a part of the staff. Uh, he's got a great creative mind as Matt Hardy and he's a good team player. So I, I, uh, I'm that's a great hire by Tony Khan, Matt Hardy, great hire in my estimation. So, uh, you know, but the, the, you talked about more, he said something about morals as edge and leader tongue kissing right here about to loosen their teeth, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, you know, there was no morals in the attitude era. It was a TV 14 product. And, uh, we took that 14 right to the edge every single week. Cause this is a, a very controversial angle. It's all about lust, adultery, you know, uh, being less than loyal, all the things you don't want to encounter in your real life. Uh, they were proud to, to display on national television. So. Anyway, it's got a good size. He has a JR sign out there, Conrad. Look at that. It's like Dave LaGrex's fathead. I wonder if uh, that guy holding the sign knows that you have a new book at jrsbbq.com. <laughs> I don't think he did then. Uh, but then Edge and Lita staying in characters. They leave the ring. Uh, arm around Lita is Edge. And, uh, and she's hot, man. She's hot. And then, of course, there's Kane, a backstage shot. Rocking back and forth in a somewhat sadistic, evil thinking mind. Remember at this time, uh, edge and leader were quote unquote married. So the husband has been scorned and he's a six, nine, 300 pound scorned husband. Uh, so that's going to be cool. Then the billboard comes up big main event tonight because of the edges victory. The, the previous week, he gets a, a championship match with Dave Batista world title. And, uh, that was our, that would be our main event. That's what we're going to close the show with edge and Batista. And with all the momentum edge and Lita had, hell, who knew what was going to happen. Right. Then we've got a billboard for Chris Jericho and, and, and Shelton Benjamin, Davari and his, his cohort, uh, 
Muhammad Hussein were on the, on, on board tag match against Jericho and, and, uh, Sheldon. So, and now we got Bischoff doing his thing. Who's he talking to? Let's, uh, let's track it. Podium. Got it. I want a black carpet and I want you to make me a barbed wire wreath with ECW in the middle. No problem. Okay. Cause we're going to have a funeral, something I should have done a long time ago, uh, an official funeral for ECW. Get to work. You got it, boss. Eric. Sheldon, what are you doing here? You've got like a, a tag team rematch with Hassan Devari, like right now? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm here about. My partner, Chris Jericho, is not here. I don't know where he is. I just need a little more time to, you know, see if he gets here, find him something. Shelton, Shelton, Shelton. That's not my problem, that's your problem. I've got my hands full tonight. I've got a world title match on the line, all right? I've got a funeral I'm in the middle of planning. And what about the draft? I got the draft. Did you see John Cena last night? Man, we have got to figure out a way to get him to Raw. So here's how I see it. Jericho's not here tonight. Your tag team rematch is a, it's a handicap match. Good luck. Handicap, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. You know, you're right about John Cena, though. Thanks. It'd be great having him on Raw. Only thing better is you going to SmackDown. <laughs> how underrated is Eric as a television character? Oh, he's great. He's so, he, he, I told Heyman this one time and, and, in all sincerity and politely and complimentary, he was, uh, easy to dislike. And that's the greatest trait that a TV villain can have is that you're easy to dislike. You're easy to be a heel. We accept that. So now we see, uh, Davari and Hussein coming to the ring. Muhammad Hassan, Hassan, I should say, I should correct that. I'm sorry. Uh, kid had a great deal of potential. Wrong gimmick at the wrong time of our world, but the kid had a lot of potential a good look, smart guy. And it's all, it's interesting to see a, an Italian playing a Arab. It's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like uh, the Italian chief Jay Strongbow playing a native American. Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. You know, what's funny is I'm, I've become really good friends with those guys from vice who were doing, who did uh, dark side of the ring and, uh, just tremendous series, but you know, I'm always joking about, Hey man, you guys got to do a season three. And so I sent him an email a while back that said, Hey, hypothetically, if season three happens, here's like a wish list that I think would, uh, that fans would dig. And I know I would want to see. And he said, what about Muhammad Hassan? And I, I never really thought about that, but you're exactly right. Like an Italian playing <laughs> I, this character is it's own irony. Is it not? Yeah, it really is. Uh, he had a, a very controversial, uh, run in WWE. Uh, I remember I did a little angle with him. Uh, I can't remember before or after this with, uh, Lawler and I, that got us to a, we did a pay-per-view in, in San Juan. And so Lawler and I w- were the team against, uh, Hassan and, and Davari in, in hopes of cutting them get over. You know, you had two, two baby faces and good old JR and of course the great King. Uh, and so that was just a, we wanted to get them over. 
and uh, we we did our best, but then it got cut short, and you know all the controversy and things, just political issues. But those guys, uh, I, I, Davari's got a great mind for the business. He's very fundamentally sound. Uh, but Hassan was our was going to be the meal ticket of that duo. So now they're in a handicap match with Shelton Benjamin. Man, look how young Davari looks and, and Hassan. He, and Hassan's got a, just got great symmetry. He really looks like a, a very talented athlete as he starts hammering away on Shelton. And who Shelton was probably – Shelton Shelton Benjamin is arguably the best pure athlete that I signed in my entire run there. And that includes some Hall of Famers and some Olympic gold medalists and Kurt Angle. And not that Kurt Angle wasn't a great athlete. He was. But Shelton Benjamin was a guy that was a national placer in heavyweight wrestling and in sprints in, on, the, on the college track team. You rarely see that right. where you've got a wrestler running track and it tells you all you need to know about Shelton. Uh, he was great in one-on-one competition. He had a great amateur record, got him a full scholarship in Minnesota, which is our link to Brock Lesnar over the years, as we've discussed, but he's just uh, absolutely phenomenal. Another great body, another athlete that was a legitimate athlete. And, uh, I always loved working with Shelton I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and he's still with WWE, right? He is, and I wish they would do more with him. I mean, I know that the the knock on Shelton for a long time has been, oh, well, he doesn't. He's not a strong promo. Well, golly, mm-hmm. let you know it, it worked for Lesnar. Why don't we let Heyman talk for him? The dude can go. Yeah, it's uh, we we said that about a lot of talents. So just we're missing that little something something. I've always thought that we as a company, as on the outside, Shelton gets tripped. Uh, which is what happens in a two on one scenario now getting beat up on the outside. Uh, but there's nothing Sheldon couldn't do. And I always thought that his promos were believable because it was him, right? He, Sheldon Benjamin was his real name. He wasn't playing the role of a character. So when he, when he spoke, he spoke as himself. And I've always believed that being yourself is the first ingredient to being, having a successful promo. So you're not uh, the fans were saying, not rolling their eyes and oh Jesus. Another cheesy ass pro wrestling promo. So I thought the company, including myself, because uh, I signed him, we should have done more to help him with his promos. And maybe getting a manager at some point was not was not a bad idea, Conrad. What you suggested whatsoever, but uh, he he had so much untapped potential. Still has it. Uh, I'm with you. If they could, the WWE could figure out something for him to do, it'd be fresh. It'd be new. And the great thing about Sheldon is, is that he can work with anybody. Conrad, he has a skill set to work as a baby face, as a heel. He can work with green guys and you always, you know, it's like everybody always says, and, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer. You've got to work with people better than you to get better. And there's not a, uh, NXT new guy or an NXT guy or any of that, that Sheldon can't help make better. And that's, that's a key ingredient, but for whatever reason, uh, I guess he's just not on the right side of the aisle. I don't know. Well, it's remarkable to look at, you know, this period in particular, because we know sort of the end game on a lot of these talents or, or how, you know, their stories would finish at least in professional wrestling or, you know, with this particular run and Muhammad Hassan, you know, comes in and just gets an absolute ton of feedback. You know, the character is obviously a hit it's polarizing, you know, but fans are into it and, and he's getting big reactions and. It seems like it's going to be a hell of a character for him, but ultimately the guy behind the character winds up paying the price because I don't know, it feels like a missed opportunity with him. You wonder if he would have gotten any other gimmick, what would his upside in wrestling be? Because once he's that 
and, uh, the company makes a misstep. That's all she wrote for him in professional wrestling. Really? Yeah. Unfortunately, you're right. Uh, that his, his, uh, TV persona, his quote unquote gimmick, uh, was a little, if it had been hell have been done a few years earlier when those, when the anti-American, uh, storylines were especially, uh, productive, uh, it might've been a whole different story for this kid, but, uh, I it just, it was, it was, it was negative heat in the eyes of Vince and the upper management, uh, for what he was, we were having to deal with, with him of the public sentiment. It was, it was go away heat, not again, not an anti-American thing, not again. Uh, so, uh, it was, it was, uh, unfortunate timing, quite frankly, but in the air of the iron Sheik and, and, uh, uh, half a dozen other anti-Americans that we can, we can count on our fingers as we see the double team going in the chair brought in the ring referee, Jack Doan. I saw Jack Doan at a, uh, there's a cover after the chair shot. That'll probably do it. And so then ironically, Davari gets the pin after the dirty work was done by Hassan. So, uh, the heels get a win. I love the little nuance thing that Davari did there. Not only did he hook the legs, he hooked his hands and was really selling that he's really holding him down. And that little stuff really stands out. Yeah. Little nuances. Just right. The, the little things, uh, create big things in, in the, in the game. So, and, and look, as they leave the ring, they meeting a Hassan and Davari, that's a good looking pair. Yeah. A good package. So we'll go back and take a look at the replay. Hey, I was going to tell you, I saw Jack Doan. Uh, I went to a Illinois basketball game, uh, on a, a promotional thing that Tony Khan set up in Champaign. And I guess, uh, Jack Doan and, uh, Chad Patton live in that area. So they came to the game and I got to say hello to them. It was a, that's cool. yeah, it was a fun little reunion type thing. And, you know, I was happy to see them big hugs and that type deal. Uh, Jack Doan was there for a long time. And now we have, we, we've continued the show. Here comes Chris Jericho trying to get interviewed by, uh, young Todd Grisham. Let's track it. You weren't there. Match is already done. Together a Fozzie tour of Australia, and I lost track of time. And Sean let us wrestle by himself. Wait, he's still the Intercontinental Champion, right? Shelton's still a great competitor. One loss isn't going to hurt him. He'll get over it. I'll tell you what, though, if you see Bischoff around anywhere, let him know that I'll face anyone tonight on a one on one match. Okay, Jericho's equals ratings, right? Tell him if you see him. Don't you feel a little bit guilty not being there for your tag team partner? Look at how Grisham's legs are spread I, because I, he was taller than Jericho. Hilarious. Yeah. Spare me the lecture, Todd, okay? I told you I was sorry. I had business. I'm not going to be punished for having a life outside of wrestling. Okay? In Canadian ease, he's sorry. Sounds like Alistair Beck. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that you pointed out uh, how wide the stance that, that Grisham <laughs> was sporting, but that's what Kevin Dunn and, and Vince McMahon want. I mean, they want their performers to look larger than life, and if one of the announcers is tall. They make him basically do the goddamn split. So he's not taller. Yeah. It's just a psychological thing. It's a, a look deal. So now we got edge Christian, Travis Tomko, who's another guy I thought we could have used more and Lita in an old backstage thing. Tomko had what we, what we've been led to believe is what Vince wants. He's, he's a big dude and he's got an intimidating look. Why don't you think it was more of a hit for, uh, for him. I mean, what, why did, why did his run not, not have more legs? He seemed like he got settled in that heater, heater role. The, the, the second guy 
and featuring Travis Tomko type scenario. Uh, I think the, what a great guy, what a great guy. And, uh, I think it was just a matter that the perception was he didn't have enough charisma. Mm. Charisma is a subjective thing, man. Yeah. Who, who, how do you determine who has it or who doesn't have it? It's an individual decision. It's very subjective. Uh, but I liked, uh, Travis Tonko. His look was good. He was great in the locker room. He was low maintenance. He was a real pro. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm glad to see him back on TV in this regard and this, this scenario, but, uh, I liked the guy. I thought he had a lot more potential. So now we billboard the still to come, uh, the big gold belt, world heavyweight title, the big gold belt made famous by the Nate. Batista is being challenged by edge. And of course, Lita will be at ringside, even though she's a married woman. And then this is an interesting story. Maria is going to enter. You're going to interview viscera, the, the world's largest love machine. <laughs> I love you're trying to sell it, man. How about Chris masters? What a, what a rub and what a push with this package that you guys did for so long, sort of teasing that he's coming in. He gets the special entrance. We have so many instances of him really, uh, quote unquote, getting over his finisher, the master's lock. This is, uh, I don't know. This feels like he was poised to be one of the next big things. And then magically, uh, the office changed their mind. Yeah, he was, he got, he got close, uh, to getting to that next level. It was cut short. And again, I don't know that it was any other reason than the, finally it, the thought was maybe he's not getting, he should be getting better. You can't build, you can't build your reputation off of eight by 10, even though Vince may disagree with me on that scenario. But if you're going to have this great body and man, he has a body, he looks amazing, but you know, you still got to improve your in-ring game. And I think that he may have been so entrenched in his look because he was told that he looks great. And that's basically why you're here that, that, that was his focus and a uh, nice guy, really a nice guy. Uh, but it just, it, it, it ran its course, man. So it, it ran its course. Now we're showing a reef, uh, a re, uh, re, three months ago. So he's been around a while getting, getting win after win, but it just didn't seem like he was building the momentum that the, the TV exposure and the, and his push, uh, got. And so they're in the master lock, which is a ham- uh, full Nelson. And, uh, All so he, he wins. The nice thing about that finish was he could do it with anybody Yep. and anybody. So, uh, and then Stevie Richards, another guy that was underrated as hell, uh, good student of the game, smart guy. Let's talk about Chris said, masters though, for whatever reason, there's, uh, uh, another instance where WWE feels like they need to sort of crack down a little bit on PEDs. And when they change their drug testing policy, or maybe there's a situation either way, masters, uh, as they say, gets off the gas. I don't know why that's a phrase, but, uh, and then when he loses some size and his whole look, his whole gimmick and his whole presentation and his whole persona is based on his look. It's not something that we just hope the audience picks up on or doesn't on their own. We have triple H and Shawn Michaels make fun of him losing size on camera, on TV, uh, and, and, and he's just dead in the water. Why would, why does, why, why is that allowed? I mean, I'm not saying because, Triple H went into business. Because, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm not saying that it was Triple H's idea, but I'm just saying, why would Vince 
knowingly go out here and sort of shit on his own creations and, and stunt the growth of somebody like this. I'm not so sure that Sean and uh, triple H didn't, uh, uh, run that by the old man. I'm sure it was their idea. Uh, and because it was counterproductive, uh, it didn't make a lot of sense. They weren't getting the talent over. Yeah. They were dissing the talent, making him look less than. And so, uh, you know, it just, that was that attitude era where a lot, some of the guys had the ear of the old man and, uh, he was allowed them to do pretty much whatever they wanted. And Vince loves Sean still does. And of course, triple H became Vince's son-in-law and they had a pretty much a blank check to say and to do whatever the hell they wanted. I don't know, man. It seems kind of shitty to me. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend that type of, uh, management or a conduct whatsoever. So now masters gets Stevie Richards. The one thing about Stevie Richards that he did so well was sell. Mm. He sold well, look at his arms. His arms are draped to his side. Like he's losing consciousness referee, Mike Kyoto, who just got furloughed, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, calls for the bell masters gets a very convincing win over a really, uh, skilled guy in Stevie, Stevie Richards was much more fundamentally sound than Chris masters at this point in time in their careers. That's why you need guys better than to get uh, younger guys like masters better. Let's, uh, let's mention, um, because I do think that, uh, we sort of glossed over it. You heard Eric Bischoff when we tracked him a little earlier, when he was talking to Shelton Benjamin say, Hey, did you see John Cena last night? We we're one night removed from the judgment day pay-per-view and, uh, we're on the road to the ECW one night and pay-per-view coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, which is why they're doing the, uh, the funeral for ECW here. I also want to mention, uh, behind the scenes, Wade Keller has written that John Laurinaitis is no fan of Jim Cornette and hasn't been for some time. Cornette gave Laurinaitis the excuse. He needed to suspend him for five or six weeks from any involvement with OVW WWE's developmental territory. There's speculation that Cornette won't be brought back, but that depends on a number of factors. At this point, the booking and TV writing duties have been taken over by Tommy dreamer. And he's been told not to change things too much from the direction that Cornette set. And the gist is there's a, a set of TV tapings on May 4th and the, the future Mordecai, Kevin Furtig wore a baseball cap backwards and Cornette would send word. Hey, take it off. It looks stupid. And he does, <laughs> but then during the match, he gets a sombrero from a fan and wears that perhaps as a way to get under Cornette's skin. And it works. Cornette blows up backstage and chews him out. And eventually he's, uh, he's earning this reputation as a hothead and, and not being one to sort of play the game. And as a result, he's out of here. What, what can you tell yeah. us about when, you know, the wheel started to come off of the whole Jim Cornette, John Laurinaitis relationship. Well, we should mention that John Laurinaitis had replaced me as the head of talent relations around that time. And, uh, like a lot of guys that uh, get a new head coaching job or whatever it is, you want your own staff, you know, you want your own team. Uh, even though Lauren Ice was a part of that team working for me, uh, I had like five minutes to, uh, prepare to go tell the roster who had already been assembled unknown, unbeknownst to me in the locker room to pass the torch to Lauren because that's what Vince wanted. Even though I got no, uh, I got no reason. Uh, you know, after signing all these talents, working my ass off to give to the, the job to smiling John was a big, you know, how many, how many major stars did, did Laurinaitis sign 
that were trained and raised in the WWE system. I challenge anybody. Uh, one of his greatest signees was CM Punk, who was already a star when he got there, right. for example. So, uh, in any event, uh, Laurinaitis was not, uh, the popular fit. He's like a lot of guys that, uh, finally get a big position in wrestling and that have been in wrestling all their life that, uh, take advantage of the power. And, uh, I think a lot of talents, he had an entirely different management style than me. I'm not saying it was worse. I'm just saying it was different and I was more hands-on. I was more talent friendly. You can ask any of these guys, ask them. And so now Jericho's in the ring. Nice haircut, Chris, <laughs> Chris, he keeps, Chris, he keeps reinventing himself. Doesn't he? Even yes, to this he very does. day, he's so good, man. He's so good. So, uh, anyway, Jericho, who was late, he's, he got to promote his, uh, plug his Fozzie group, his, his rock group. He just came back from Australia from a big tour. And, uh, and Jericho's another guy that had great rapport with the old man. Uh, he, he, he communicated with him real well. So here comes Pat Patterson's favorite wrestler, Sylvan Grenier, uh, waving, uh, I guess that's the Quebec flag, Quebec flag, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then he's going to work with another Canadian. How boot that, uh, in uh, Chris Jericho and Sylvan was another guy that had a good physique, good body. He just didn't, he didn't. He, he, you can't sell goods out of an empty wagon. He was very gimmicky and that may have been our fault, but he wasn't a bad athlete, but he, he had a little heat on him because he was perceived as Patterson's guy. And Patterson was so influential in this era, you know, as far as uh, being an agent to the stars and laying out great matches, coming up with great concepts like the Royal rumble, uh, that he got a little, uh, Sylvan got a little unwarranted heat on him for that. Mm. So you see the start of the match where. Grenier is really dominating Jericho, which tells me that Jericho is going to go over. One of the things I want to mention is, um, the head writer, uh, Brian Gewertz is going to take a leave of absence saying he's burned out, has been for a while. And he's also hinted that he feels he's done all he can as a wrestling writer and, and might be interested in branching out and WWE has kept him in house. Uh, by offering him a chance to stay on payroll and create scripts for the WWE movie division. And one WWE source told Wade Keller, he had chemistry with Vince. He could talk Vince into his ideas, but mostly he knew it was best to go along with what Vince wanted. Ed Kosky, now the senior writer under Stephanie McMahon, along with Michael Hayes is known for being more creative and less logic and detail oriented. He is also said to be uh, weaker when it comes to continuity and internal logic issues than Brian was. So Koski moving up, Brian tagging out saying I'm burnt out. Do you remember that being a, a bit of a shakeup? And did you have any concerns from the inside about that move? Well, I thought Brian Gortz did a great job. You know, uh, he got the confidence of the rock. He's still working for the rock this very day. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I never, I didn't always agree with Brian, but I always respected Brian and he's a very intelligent guy, very creative. Uh, so I thought losing Brian Gwertz was a, was a, was a negative because I really believe he was a, he was a real deal. And he understood the business. He, he, he got a great education because he worked so closely, much like myself, great education, because you were close to Vince on a regular basis and nobody was probably spending more time with Vince than Brian Gwertz, who was riding Monday night raw, which was Vince's baby. And, uh, so, uh, Brian leaving and not knocking Koski, who's still there. Uh, or, uh, anybody else, uh, that's, that's still there. 
he was just a, a very valuable asset to, to the process. So I, I, I thought losing Brian was a, was a, was a negative. And, uh, I, I don't know, you know, the guy, not to say the guys didn't do a good job, but he was just, he had Brian to me had more sizzle. I guess that makes sense. I mean, we certainly heard his name associated with acts like edge and Christian and some of the fun stuff he did with Kurt angle and making him more of a comedic figure. And really the same thing with the rock, you know, so many of the rocks, more iconic promos were something that Brian helped him with. And, uh, I mean, that's been evident just based on seeing all the success they've had outside of wrestling as well. Of course, Ed Koski still a part of the WWE brain trust. I think at this point, uh, he's probably on one of the writing teams. If I had to guess, and Jericho's having a, a hell of a match here. We see, uh, there he is tapping out. Chris Jericho picks up a win. The walls of Jericho beat, uh, Sylvan with his finish referee, Earl Hebner doing his thing in there. Always doing a good job. So Chrissy Jericho with a new haircut, new tights, just off a Fozzie tour of Australia. Successful. It, it, it certainly. Uh, gets a win coming back on Monday night raw. And here comes Shelton Benjamin. Who's wondering where Jericho was because they were scheduled for a tag team match that left Ben left, uh, uh Sheldon in a handicap match against Hassan and Davari. So here comes Sheldon with a pissed off look in his eye. Man, you look around this crowd. There wasn't an empty seat in the building. No, they're, they're, uh, they're excited to be here. We're going to get a, a fun interview here from Jericho. Let's track it. Hold on, Sheldon. I just want to reiterate before I'm really, I'm sorry about what happened before. I'm sorry that I left you hanging, but let me explain something to you, Shelton. You're a tremendous athlete. There's no doubt about it, but think about it from my side. I'm a tremendous athlete as well. As long as a singer and a radio show host and a pop culture pundit and an actor, I got a lot of stuff going on. So when you got that much stuff going on, you have to realize sometimes you're going to have to put up with me being a little late. That's a luxury that I can afford, though, because I'm Chris Jericho. And no matter what I do, the Jericho-holics will always be on my side. Wow. Fun little segment. I like this. Good follow-up. Uh, and they buttoned up their business from earlier. They didn't leave us hanging. They did not leave it open-ended, even though it's set up for future uh, Jericho Shelton matches. And now, uh, the, the graphic there is a smiling Eric Bischoff. The funeral of ECW will be coming up next. And, uh, that would have put us right around the crossover, meaning that the show started at eight o'clock Eastern. This would be around the top of the nine o'clock hour. This, the, the third, the, the first segment, the sixth segment, the crossover. And of course, uh, uh, the final segment are always your money, money, money segments. So then they're talking about the draft lottery, June 6th, which I'd like to forget <laughs> more subterfuge, getting kayfabe by your own company, getting misrepresented. The truth being misrepresented on, on uh, more than one occasion. So there's Bischoff. This will be one of his finest hours. It will indeed. Wade Keller would write and likely what is to be one of the most all time memorable segments in raw series. Vince McMahon, Eric Bischoff, and Paul Heyman held court for over 10 minutes on the May 23rd episode. Bischoff began the segment as a mock funeral for ECW, which according to the ongoing storyline is an organization he despises. McMahon walks out to tell Bischoff he has a financial stake in the success of the one night stand pay-per-view and to back off his anti-ECW efforts. McMahon then invites Heyman to the ring. Heyman cuts a promo on Bischoff for his 
inaccurate portrayal of what ECW stood for. And Heyman and McMahon established that while McMahon owns the ECW brand, he has no control over how it's used at ECW one night stand. The goal is to portray ECW as having creative freedom separate from WWE while also publicizing the pay-per-view within a highly rated raw program deemed a necessary evil in order for the ECW pay-per-view to draw enough viewers for it to be profitable. And we know it's going to be a huge success and will ultimately lead to the decision to bring back the brand. But this is, uh, this is great shit, man. I agree. Yeah. Everybody, this is one of those deals where the talents were allowed in that, uh, overproduced era, which has come even more overproduced in WWE, in my opinion. The old JR is better. I'm not fucking better. It's a matter of fact, the talents do better when they're allowed to create their own content or influence their own content. You just saw the bug at the bottom of the, on that screen. That means we just went over the top of the hour. It was nine o'clock right now on the East coast, uh, with Eric in the ring, perfect timing on the show. Uh, but you know, I, these guys are out there, Conrad, they had a, they had an outline. But I don't know that anybody had quote unquote lines they had to memorize. It got worse as time went on when, uh, you know, WWE wanted to become Disney or something. Uh, but this, these guys pull this off because they had great instincts and they had skill and, uh, Bischoff had heat. What did he have heat? That's those, that WCW stuff and knocking WWE all those years, the Monday night wars, the 83 weeks. And yes, Eric, I'm plugging your paper, your uh, podcast again. 83 weeks. <laughs> Here you go. Listen, and the Podfather's uh, facilitating all that, which I, I, I cheer. By the way, uh, the story here, we didn't play all of Bischoff's audio. We're going to track it when we get all three guys in there, but we didn't play the entire promo from Eric. But the gist is I killed ECW once before because I took all their talent and I used them to put on a vastly superior product than what they ever could. And that's the reason they died. Eventually it, it died because I killed it. And here today we're doing another ECW funeral because I see they're trying to bring it back with one night stand. Nobody wants to see that. And I'm going to kill it again tonight. So yeah, good, pro- good promo, good reverse psychology. Nobody wants to see ECW. Oh, you can't tell me what I want to see. I'll show you cause I'm a defiant 18 to 49 male by God. How about the reaction Vince got? Yeah. Big. Isn't it amazing that, you know, he's not a regular on-screen character all the time, but when he does come out, fans want to see him and they want to see that stupid swagger. Yeah. The, the one that uh, Conor McGregor has yeah. imitated. We're seeing it right now. Vince walking to the ring Stomping like a, a giant, uh, red Island road rooster. Remarkable. Yeah. And a great suit too. That's oh, he stomps in the ring. My God, here he comes. Eric said that disingenuous little clap smiling and, uh, there he is. Vincent Kennedy McMahon folks, best dressed owner in sports. I, I just loved their rivalry back in the day. What a moment. Let's track it. McMahon, what a, what a pleasant surprise. I can only assume you're here to say a few words on behalf of the memory of East ECW. No, Eric, I'm not here to uh, join your eulogy of ECW. Quite frankly, it's the contrary. I'm here to let you and everyone else know that uh, I have a vested interest in the well-being 
of ECW. What? I'm not sure I understand. Well, I wouldn't expect that you would understand, Eric, but uh, you see, for years, behind the scenes, my organization financially supported ECW. That's a fact. That's a fact. For many years. Nobody knew about it. You see, I had the philosophy that the stars of ECW might one day become the superstars of WWE. And boy, was I right. There's a whole litany of individuals who became superstars here in the WWE who passed through ECW. I mean, uh, names too numerous to mention, but I will throw out a couple like Mick Foley. The Dudley Boys. Uh, what, there was uh, that guy that you fired down there and then went to ECW. Oh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. That guy. Boy, Who does, hired all these guys, Conrad, for God's sakes? <laughs> does Vince know how to play the crowd or what? Man? Oh, he's, he's a, Vince McMahon was the greatest heel that I ever worked with. The greatest pure heel that I ever worked with. He was the top heel in the Attitude Era was Mr. McMahon. Their locker room and why, Eric? Why did you, why did you want to do that, Eric? You, you realize you, you single-handedly drove them into bankruptcy. Yeah. You what? I, I, I didn't really. The hell you didn't. You single-handedly drove them into bankruptcy. And then, after you did, and by the way, as a matter of public record, you look up that bankruptcy and you'll see creditor. WWE for loans totaling $587,500, Eric. Mm. You see, Eric, I, I have a vested interest. I had to acquire the assets of the bankrupt organization to protect my interest. And in doing so, obviously, I would very much like for ECW's one night stand to be a viable financial success. Makes sense. And you wonder where all these ECW commercials come from and how they magically appear on Raw and soon to be on SmackDown? How I put them there! Lawler's funny. (laughs) By the way, uh, just to give you some ideas to how like this one night stand thing is going to go, I'm, I'm hoping we'll get a little taste of that because I'm personally going to present a match that you canceled last week. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's going to be next. It's that ECW rules match between Benoit and Tajiri. Oh it's, uh, it's fun <laughs> to see how they can't help but, you know, make this a, a, an entertaining segment. But really, the whole gist is... Let's build some heat to sell the pay-per-view. And it's not even with the actual in-ring performers you would see on the show. It's the behind the scenes stuff that they know the quote unquote smart fans are going to eat up. Yeah. ECW had fans rally around them because they were the obvious underdog. It's us against the world. A little, uh, uh, maybe I'm wrong here, Conrad. You correct me if I am. It kind of reminds me of where, uh, AEW is positioned right now. It was an alternative. 
it isn't, we are an alternative there. It's a different breed of cat. And, uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big uh, fan of selling pay-per-views and that's what these guys are doing right now. We, we worked hard a whole month of May to sell, uh, our pay-per-view on the 23rd that just ended last week. So it's all about selling pay-per-view. Those are the big money lies. And, uh, so Vince, uh, and Bischoff are done a hell of a job of positioning ECW's one night stand as a can't miss, uh, event. And it really, it was one of the better pay-per-views we've, that we ever produced. It's my favorite show I ever attended. I mean, it's, it was the perfect wrestling show. If you were an ECW fan. Yeah, you're right. I didn't know you attended that event. Yeah. Front row, man. 23, were you really 23 year old me? Couldn't wait to get up there. And who was your talent? Who was your ticket hookup? Uh, I just bought them straight off. I mean, I was like up and at them early clicking buttons. I didn't get a hookup. Wow. Man. How times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fish that- facials are just money. So is Vince. They're looking at each other eye to eye, man. Let's track it. But enough about me talking about this ECW one night stand and so forth, because quite frankly, I'm not qualified to talk about it, Eric. I didn't have a damn thing to do with creating ECW. I didn't have anything at all to do with, with the legacy of ECW and helping build the brand. I didn't have anything at all to do with it, but perhaps an individual I've invited to join us tonight. Yep. This man had a hell of a lot to do with it. Oh, no. <laughs> Paul Heyman. Oh, my gosh. I love the rivalry between Paul Heyman and Jerry Lawler on TV. Yeah, it's kind of real, to be honest with you. That goes all the way back to the Memphis days. You know, Lawler broke Heyman's jaw one time. Yeah. I, I asked him on a, on a well, that roundtable thing. I said, Did, was it an accident or was it on purpose? The famous quote by Lawler, it was on purpose. So that heat has never subsided. I think it exists today. Here we go. You want to talk about heat? Here it comes. Let's track it. We're going to thunk it. Just not to get too formal here. Paul Heyman, this is Eric Bischoff. Eric, this is Paul Heyman. (laughs) Well, well, well. Look at this. For the first time ever in history, in the same ring, at the same time, Vince McMahon, Eric Bischoff, and Paul Heyman. WWE, WCW, and ECW. Speaking of ECW, please remember our deal. You can own ECW, but I still control ECW. And as for you, Eric Bischoff, you think you understand ECW? You think you got what Extreme Championship Wrestling was all about? Eric Bischoff, you're so wrong. ECW wasn't about garbage wrestling and just bloodshed and violence. ECW, Eric Bischoff, was about the cruiserweight Lucha Libre style brought to this country by Rey Mysterio. 
Bischoff yawning. <laughs> WCW didn't bring Rey Mysterio to this country. WWE didn't bring Rey Mysterio to this country. Rey Mysterio was discovered by ECW. ECW was about the pure scientific wrestling style, the submission style perfected by the likes of Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and the human suplex machine Taz. That innovative style didn't debut on Monday Nitro. It didn't start in WWE. Somebody took, had the guts to put that on the air. That somebody was ECW. ECW was about the entire audience believing in their favorite wrestler so much that everybody in the crowd would take their thumb, point it at themselves, and say in unison the initials, R-B-D. Rob Van Dam wasn't a Monday Nitro phenomenon. And long before Rob Van Dam was Mr. Monday Night in WWE, R-B-D was E-C-W. And you're right, Eric. ECW was about wrapping up the rules in barbed wire and power bombing them through a flaming table. A style personified by Tommy Dreamer and the Dudley Boys and the Sandman and Mick Foley and the suicidal, homicidal, genocidal, death-defying Sabu. ECW was a lifestyle. It was anti-establishment. It was counterculture, and it was up in your face. I invite you, Eric, to experience ECW. How great is Heyman knowing when to lay out and just let him do the thing? Oh, he's he's brilliant. He's probably the best promo in the business right now. He was then. Uh, he, he could talk, man. Heyman could talk. He's really, really good. I love Bischoff playing it off, rolling his eyes, looking at his watch, checking his nails, like he's so bored. And when are you going to shut up? But Heyman would not shut up. And this is his invitation to one night stand. Day night, June 12th at ECW one night stand. Let me, uh. Let me make one thing clear to both you gentlemen here. As much as I support ECW, obviously I support Raw. And its general manager, Eric Bischoff. And if Eric Bischoff wants to lead a, an entire group, a whole band of, of crusaders into the Hammerstein Ballroom at one night stand and kick the living hell out of ECW, then you know what? That's all right with me too. Because if there's one thing I love just as well as a big pot full of money, it's a damn good fight. This man may win. <laughs> oh, you like that, hi, Eric? Eric, let me inform you that this won't be the first time that a billion-dollar corporation came after little old ECW. You can call it a crusade, Eric. I call it gang warfare and i will take your gang warfare straight to the 
extreme. Haven, I don't think that's a problem whatsoever. You know, Eric, you're going to have a big problem because I guarantee you, you're going to start a fire that you cannot put out. And that took us home, Conrad. They sold tickets. They sold pay-per-views. And uh, we got to go back and look at that show. I got to go back and find Conrad sitting on the front row. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to watching that show. We're going to get to it this summer. And there it is, the, uh, the Burning Reef. What, of, uh, what an interesting visual. You guys didn't do a lot of work with fire on regular TV. And, I mean, here you go, a fire right in the middle of the wrestling ring. Very, uh, very visual, obviously, as you said, it, it said it spoke volumes, but, uh, McMahon Bischoff and Heyman did a hell of a job and, uh, ad libbing their way and, and, and being themselves through this paper, this, uh, promo. And of course, uh, we, again, we come back and billboard as good TV does our main event tonight, world heavyweight championship, Batista, the champ against, uh, the money to bank winner edge with his new paramour Lita. It's, it's so fun to go back and watch, you know, shows from this era and just think about how much has changed in wrestling, but really how similar the way wrestling is presented. I mean, a lot of this is just staples of WWE, like this outside shot. I mean, that's, that's a WWE thing for as long as I can remember. And you know, they've got a lot of the same cast and crew over the years. So you find a formula and it sort of becomes the WWE way, right? Yeah, exactly. Of course, I saw a nice shot of the uh, Green Bay, some of the Green Bay Packers there. There's a little on camera, the King's favorite part of the show, the on camera. You're pushing First. here that the Longest Yard, which stars Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Adam Sandler film, is going to come out this weekend. And uh, there's also, uh, you know, the the new WWE movie with Stone Cold that's going to be coming out, The Condemned. But Stone Cold, you know, he's only 40 years old here. Oh man, there's Tajiri. To Jerry with a kendo stick, uh, nailing Benoit from behind is on the entrance ramp. Man, to Jerry was a was a godsend for us. How good was he? And if he had been a little bit bigger, with his psychology, his facial expressions, which were absolutely incomparable, just inc- incomparable, I should say. Uh, now Benoit's got the kendo stick, and he's going to use it. And then the mist goes into the eyes. So, uh, Benoit gets the mist in the eyes. He's temporarily blinded as to Jerry in that typical heel fashion, sneaking around, being sneaky, being devious, being evil. Uh, I love to, I love to call his matches. And sometimes his facial expressions were so priceless. It was all I could do to keep him laughing. Cause I enjoyed it so much. So in your opinion, it's one of those, uh, like you've mentioned several times with Jericho from a Vince McMahon standpoint. The jury just wasn't tall enough. He just wasn't big enough. You know, he was a cruiserweight and you know, Vince never saw big money in cruiserweights. Do you think it was, uh, it was just an experiment with Ray Mysterio. I mean, when he tried Ray as the world champ, a lot of Ray's, guys- di- Ray's a different breed of cat Conrad. He's a different cruiserweight. Gray has, he had those, that move set that was absolutely amazing. He was new. He was fresh. He had a great look. The masks were a big deal for him. But Ray Mysterio was a legitimate star long before he came to us. 
he just got better and better. And I saw just the other day, I think he signed a new contract again with, with WWE, which is good at his stage of the game. But he was a little different breed of cat there, Ray was. You can't compare Ray Mysterio to all the other cruiserweights because he was that much better on and on a different level in my estimation. So now this is a match with, with uh, ECW rules, meaning that uh, inanimate objects were just as legal as a headlock. And now Benoit with those that uh, going for those belly-to-back suplex, and look at how Tajiri fights out of it with great sense of urgency, those back elbows have been wild dogmatic as he is comes back with a, with a, with a back suplex. And now the crippler crossface, the submission hold and to Jerry's facial expressions tell a huge story better than Lawler and I ever could, as he's trying to reach for the kendo stick, finally gets it trying to beat Ben wall off of him. Did I say he tried to beat Ben wall off? Yeah. You Nonetheless <laughs> to Jerry now blocking the kendo stick by biting it, but he's tapping out. Couldn't handle it. Benoit gets the win with his face all green from the mist, but a really nice TV match. Really nice TV match. God, how can you not love the work of Jerry and Benoit? Yeah, I'm glad that you said TV match because, you know, from a conventional standpoint, it wasn't very long. But my God, did they make the most of their minutes? I mean, they maximized their minutes here. I heard somebody say that one time, and it's true. Uh, it was a TV match. There's a difference folks. And then uh, most TV matches and regular house show match or live event matches. These guys had a great TV match. They told a story in a condensed amount of time They connected the dots. And it was r- really, really, uh, really good, good stuff. Both those guys are big additions. I love that. You still got the sponsor ads inside the network. How great is that? I mean, somewhere Stanley's still getting value for their one-time ad buy. <laughs> You're right. We're, uh, I think we're going to have a, a segment here with Kane and uh, I want to track that because Kane's, uh, well, he's in the middle of quite the storyline here. They see Batista warming up, getting ready. This looks is pretty his, good. It uh, looks pretty good. Doesn't he? It's his era, man. Hey, there's your, there he is. Your father-in-law pop pop. Here we go. Let's listen. I've wanted to say this all day long. I just didn't know how to do it. And, uh, you know, me pretty well, you've been in H. For 30 plus years, sometimes it's hard to say things that are very heartfelt. But I want to say thanks for last week. I think it really showed the people what kind of man you really are. And uh, this is where I want to go with it. It means that much. Setups in the <laughs> fix is on Conrad, when the will- dirtiest player in our game, just set up Batista. And now here's Kane. Oh, here we go. Uh, Kane, uh, sorry to bother you. Um, Eric Bischoff asked me to, uh, uh, come and see how you're, uh, coping about losing your wife to another man edge.
been about pain. I was born into pain. I was born to bring pain. Pain has always been my best friend. Who said there's no crying in wrestling? <laughs> Maybe I deserve this for all the things that I've done. I don't want this pain. Anything uh, Glenn Jacobs wasn't willing to do for WWE? No, heck no. He was a great team player, man. You know, I, I signed him after I saw him in OVW wrestling when I was doing some shots for Cornette. Uh, the, he was the Unabomber. And I, I sent him to uh, a, a TV in Georgia for everybody to get a look at him because at the time he had blonde hair. He, he had a Sid Vicious-like look. And that was one of the things that I knew Vince loved Sid's look. And Glenn was a college graduate. He's an honor student. He's now the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. But that promo he just did that we heard was some of his very best work, man. That was like a one take deal. So I, I really, uh, admire his, his skill and proud of him. And now we got, boy, is she, is, she, is Maria attractive or what? She's a beautiful woman. <laughs> she really is, man. She's and, and, and one of those deals you hear is cliche. She's as nice on the inside as she is looking on the outside. And here comes the world's largest love machine, Viscera, who the boys told me at one time would watch porn in his hotel room, taking Viagra. Yeah. True story. I think, uh, I think a few years ago, Teddy long did a shoot interview where he said Viscera would sometimes take Viagra in the locker room just to see what would happen. That was the quote, just to see what would happen. Like, what the fuck do you think's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's supposed to happen when you take Viagra. Or Bluetooth. You ever, uh, you ever have to wrestle a hard on? Wrestle a hard on? No. 
I don't think so. What do you mean? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, I can't imagine this guy before matches. Like, let me take some fucking erectile no. dysfunction medication and then let's go wrestle. No, I don't. I hope that he didn't. I didn't ever see any <laughs> visible proof of that. So now Maria's going to enter and this guy. What a massive son of a bitch he is. You know, if he hadn't jumped on Kevin Nash's chest that one time at the King of the Ring or someplace, uh, it got him in the doghouse because Nash was politically connected and, uh, it, and, and it was careless to be, say the least. Of course, Lillian Garcia's looking on viscerous smelling of, uh, of Maria Canellis. And here comes Lil. Let's track it here. This is silly shit. Based on what happened last week, I came up with a theory. You like Lillian. That's a good theory. So my question is, am I right? You're right, sweet little sexy thing, you. I am feeling Lillian Garcia. But I don't know if she feels the same way. You see, I waited all night long for you to come to my hotel room last week, but you didn't show. So I got a little surprise for you. Lights. Easy, very white. Music. Yeah, baby. Hypothetically, what was your favorite angle y'all ran like this with the cowboy? (laughs) Take your sexy little ass over there and get that hot dog from that guy right there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go and get it. Go and get it. Yeah, you always got to have a good meal with romance. This is Vince McMahon's shit right here, is it not? He loves it. It, it, and it put Viscera in, in, a, in a place where, hell, he might actually get over. I mean, so, this is sort of what we've seen before with, with the whole Mark Henry storyline, though, is it not? I mean, we're just doing it again seven years later. Yeah, now the big guy's eating a hot dog. Yeah. Damn. That's really good. You know, Lillian, I think it's about time for me to show you what you've been missing. Last week. You heard me sing, and I was pretty damn good. This week, it's time to dance, baby. Dance? Look at Nelson. Look at oh, that. yeah, baby. Look at the big man. King, he's eating and dancing at the same time. Apparently. <laughs> what the fuck? Do you ever, when, when segments like this are happening and you're watching the monitor, yeah. Does it ever cross your mind? Like, this is what I do for a living. Hell yeah. I loved it. <laughs> I really did. I love wrestling and that's just, This is just a part of it. It's, a, it's an element to the presentation. And even though old school guys are like, look at Lillian, she's getting, in, she's, she's kind of getting in the mood here. She's, she's kind of moving and grooving to the big man. Who's taking his tie off. has taken his shirt tail out. My God, let's stop this before we lose our license. <laughs> Oh my God. This is Vince McMahon's deal all day, man. Lillian's got a big smile on her face. She got, she got, she got cast in a nice role. Oh my God. He's unbuckling his belt buckle. There we go. Lillian's got her eyes fixated on, uh, something. 
Whoa, she says. Oh, he's got the red underwear on. Look at this. Silk red underwear worn by a 400-pound man. I didn't know they made drawers that big. They do. Check them out. <laughs> okay. Here's a party cooper. Here we go. The coach. The coach. Viscera. Eric Bischoff already has a lot on his plate. The last thing that he needs is a sexual harassment lawsuit. Man, how much heat did coach have with the fans back in the day? A lot. Yeah, you know, he was a good heel. He was a good heel. Of course, I beat his ass in a country whipping match in Chicago. Sold out. Went on last. No I'm kidding. <laughs> <They> got color. <laughs> Never seen so many people. <laughs> why? Uh, why was he coach? He set himself up for disaster. Why was Coach such a good fit for WWE? Well, he 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 got to be himself. And he, that's all he was. He's, he had a, he had a natural uh, proclivity, uh, to be a little ornery and to have, and, and to be able to get heat. And now he's sticking his finger in the face of Israel, which is not a good return on your investment. <laughs> no, I would agree. I miss Viscera. He, uh, he had one of the most interesting looks in, in all of wrestling. Yeah. And a, and a really nice guy, Nelson Frazier, another one of the, uh, Memphis alumni. He moved around real well for a guy his size, super heavyweight wise. Was he in the athletic category with super heavyweight like uh, Vader? No, but he did real well. And now coach tries to walk away. We got Beauty and the Beast in the ring. Got two black men, black on black uh, crime here. Cause coach is now he's uh oh, here comes a shirt. Uh oh, maybe it's a big chop. And now the Samoan drop upcoming, and then we'll say good night to Johnny Coachman. And Lillian cheering for Visser. Oh my God, Visser's mounted the coach. It looks like a a cut scene of a prison movie. Oh my God, he's thrusting. Yeah. Visser dry humping the coach (laughs) in an anal position, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we're TV fourteen. Thank God there was no penetration. And Lillian raising Visser's hand. She's smiling from ear to ear like a Cheshire cat. What the fuck is a Cheshire cat? And now Lillian trying to leave. Visser's got her hand and she has a good oh, look at this. He pulls her in Conrad, much like your old days. This is like your junior prom. <laughs> and Visser putting a lip lock on Lillian. The Lillian lip lock, ladies and gentlemen. In this era, it'd be a, it'd be a t-shirt and Lillian's obviously moved. Not sure what direction, but she's now feeling her lips. And there's a uh, Maria kind of standing by observing and still looking beautiful. As silly so as it was the, uh, the fans reacted for it. Yeah. They, this, this got over quite frankly, it just got over. And now we show a shot of the entrance shot. Of, uh, here comes Batista, the champ who looks like a million and a half bucks yep. edge. who looks great as well. Look at that six pack of abs. And he's got his, his, uh, lovely Lita under his arm. And here they come because that match is next. 
good promo for ECW one night stand. We, uh, we should mention this is around the same time. It's announced that UPN is going to be moving SmackDown from Thursdays to Fridays. And Wade would say UPN made it clear that despite it being its highest rated show, the vast majority of weeks since SmackDown debuted on the network more than five years ago, it doesn't consider the program its centerpiece. Mm-hmm. However, it is portraying the move from Friday or Thursday to Friday as an indication that there's confidence that the WWE audience is loyal enough to follow it anywhere. And that does prove to be the case. Did you think it was a big deal to move the show from Thursdays to Fridays? Always a big deal when you lose your regular time slot that you've established and found an audience that was, uh, ranking very well within the UPN television family. But it just goes, it's just another great example of where television executives who think they understand pro wrestling don't. Uh, but anytime you move from an established time slot, the audience has got to find you again. Some are not going to want to look that hard. So, uh, yeah, it was a big deal. This should be a, this is a, was a, it's going to be a great production right here. Yeah. Batista and edge, man, they, uh, they're both coming into their own here in 05. We know that right now is definitely John Cena and Batista's time in 05, but come 06. It's the Ed show, but his run here in 05, I think was maybe the stuff of his. I enjoyed the most. Yeah. Really good. He said he pulled it off. He, he took ownership did edge Adam Copeland of his uh, creative had a big influence in it. And, uh, of course, uh, the great pop for Batista, the prototypical Vince McMahon world champion, the look, the demeanor, everything. And man, has Dave gone on to become a quite the uh, actor and he's making movies. Another thing that moved was you noticed in that shot there, Lawler and I are, n- are now near the stage, yep. which puts us right near the goddamn pyro, which I will tell you, I've said this before was the drizzling shits to be positioned there. It's not, there's nothing like being at ringside, quite frankly, in an ideal world for a broadcaster, because you feel the shots. The guys, you know, I used to be at ringside a lot with Bob Coddle and other guys in WCW. And one of the great things we did, I thought was, uh, I was one of the first guys to lay out when Flair chopped because you wanted to hear the, yep. the impact because it made really uncomfortable noise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but being at ringside, you could time everything better. You could feel everything better. Look, you're surrounded by all these people. Now this ring is we take a wide shot. There's nobody at ringside, but the. It, when you're there at ringside, you're surrounded by the audience. And at that time, uh, Monday night raw was drawing capacity crowds. It was a flagship. Uh, I don't know if it still is or not, quite frankly, with the Fox deal, but nonetheless, I missed being at ringside and I didn't like being cause the pyro was hot. You know, the pellets of the pyro get all over your clothes. You get a little, little it's like having a, a plethora of cigarette burns in your, in your clothing. This wasn't a lot of fun, but, uh, I, I, uh, I bitched, uh, you know, no big deal. It, it had been better at ringside. So now the championship stare down world title on the line, last segment of raw, the money segment, not the last segment where you would have something like, oh, something as ridiculous as Dr. Heine. Uh, so anyway, Chad Patton, the referee, is that Chad? Yeah. Young Chad can't mention her. I don't, they, they still don't mention the referee's names in WWE. Do they? No, not very much. I don't understand that. I think Vince just wants it to be like in the background, right? He doesn't want to draw any attention to it. I guess I don't understand it. 
I don't understand the logic of it, quite frankly. what do you think of the decision? You know, obviously this is years afterwards, but we just got a, a great shot of it there. what do you think of the decision to bring back the big gold belt? Uh, well, it's been it, the big gold belt got a lot of TV time over the years. Yeah. So it had, it was established. Uh, I thought the belt was a little, what's the word? Ostentatious. Is that, is that a word? Yeah. I thought it was a little overdone. I thought it was a little bit too big, but boy, it sure looked good on the Nate. But I didn't know issues with it. It had, because it had some legacy. Of course, it's establishing the fact that he's the villain in this thing, taking a cheap shot, uh, hitting on the break to try to get the advantage on a bigger, stronger Dave Batista who promptly reverses the Irish whip and knocks edges ass down with a very basic shoulder block. But here's the, here's where the business picks up edge sells like a million bucks. And that Irish whip we just saw, that was, uh, uh, that was the, how you do it. You notice that Batista let released edge. No, in the, in the, in the corner that he's going, that edge is going to, in that half of the ring, you see too many guys do an Irish whip nowadays and they release almost three quarters of the way across the ring. So why in the hell would you just, if you're, if you're being sailed into the corner, why don't you just change your direction? Right. So it, it doesn't make any sense. Here comes, uh, some backup for edge in the form of, uh, a Christian and, uh, big, uh, uh, Travis Tomko. Look at how good Tomko looks. He's a, he's a, he's a, you take your, you can't, if you're, you know, no, I'll do respect to Jay. But my eyes are on Tomko, not Jay, who's covered his body up with a black shirt. We go to commercial break. What's going to happen next? Now we're back live. Uh, and Jay or, or Christian and uh, Tomko are both at ringside, lead us on the apron to cause a distraction. So now Batista is put into the situation you want all your baby faces to be put in at some point in time, and that is in trouble, in jeopardy. And of course, the the look on the face of the uh, of the uh, accomplices with edge very confident right now because they know they got a big time advantage they got Lita, they got edge they got christian and they got tomko against the champion essentially it becomes a like a handicap match type thing it's funny to go back and uh and sort of track where we were because we know that edge and 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 certainly batista are going to become bona fide hall of famers I mean, outstanding runs, WrestleMania main events and the whole lot, but for Christian and for Tomko, that's not exactly the story. It feels like over the years, there's almost been like a, a love hate relationship with Vince and Christian where maybe Vince just didn't have the faith and confidence in him that he did edge. Exactly. That's the, that's the reason you you nailed it right there. You nailed it right there. When Christian and edge broke their team up or it was broken up for them. It didn't do Christian any favors. Edge was the, and I think, and rightfully so, I think maybe even uh, Christian would tell you, Edge was the was the it guy. Christian was Robert Gibson, and and Edge was Ricky Morton. There was a definitive star of the team as Edge goes for the first cover that I can recall in this matchup. Got a near fall, and he hadn't seen this in a long time. The body scissors, the body scissors was. Uh, Invented by a wrestler named Joe Stecker, Conrad, and he used to do demonstrations when they travel from town to town by, by putting the, the body scissors on, on sacks of, of grain, uh, livestock feed and bust the sacks with his leg strength because there's no TV. So he got still pictures of the newspaper and a crowd that said, Oh my God, this guy's something else. 
and he was. So now we see Edge using that old move in a body scissors to continue to ground uh, Batista. The nice thing about this psychologically as a commentator is you can say that uh, this is the way to neutralize Batista's strength advantage by uh, destroying his vertical base. So now Batista using that same muscle to separate the legs of the body scissors from Edge and get back on the advantage. The babyface fights from underneath. He fights from underneath and never gives up. And that's what we're seeing here. We but again, the distractions continue and, and, uh, Batista gets poked in the eye. The referee didn't see it. Of course. We should mention that on this same raw, um, here in green Bay, Wisconsin, CM Punk has a dark match with Matt Capitelli. And we know oh. that that match is going to go good enough that. The next month he's, uh, he's going to be signing his WWE deal. Pretty monumental show here that even the stuff we don't see goes on to be the beginning of some really, really big shit and, and CM Punk joining the company here. Absolutely. And, and I, uh, at this time I was a little melancholy with some of these things because I had been taken out of the talent relations position, but looking at these guys and gals at ringside and in this match, I signed every one of them. And, uh, so setting in a, a, a neutered position with, uh, uh with the gravelly voice, Johnny Laurinaitis in, in that role, uh, I, I had mixed emotions. Uh, I, I really, I kept cheering for my guys and only hoping that uh, they would not be ostracized because they were one of JR's boys. We should mention that, uh, this match that we're watching gets two and three quarter stars at the torch. It's the highest rated match on the show. Hassan and Davari over Shelton Benjamin got three quarters of a star. Uh, Chris Masters and Stevie Richards got one star. Jericho and Sylvan got three quarters. Benoit to Jerry got three quarters. And this gets two and three quarters. It's hard to have a traditional star rating type match on TV when you've got limited time. But yeah, they're telling a story here and they did have plenty of time for the main event. And this is a, a worthy main event. If you're you know, loading up the family and, and paying for parking and traipsing through and picking up some merch. These are two of your biggest stars on raw. I mean, certainly Edge is your hottest heel in the business at this point. And Batista is the beloved centerpiece of the whole brand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, these guys uh, turned it on. And the other thing to remember is that we generally had a, an advertised dark match. So after the raw went off the air, there'd usually be one more match. Nice drop kick by edge. Very athletic six, four, his body started filling out. Well, looking great. Uh, but you know, you always had a, that, that advertised dark match. So the crowd really got their money's worth as the night was coming to an end, but nothing bigger than the world title as we're seeing here now. I, uh, I'm a big fan of the main event getting some time and, uh, you know, this is, is sort of old school where maybe in a traditional sense in the 1980s, um, with the ter- through the territory system, the undercard is essentially enhancement matches. And even if we didn't necessarily call it that they're very quick, but then you get a couple of segment main event like this, uh, and you hang your hat on it. And this is an era where they probably felt like they could do that. Maybe during the nitro era, everybody's living and dying by the quarter era, quarter hours. And you think people have a little ADD clicking channels back and forth. So, so maybe here in 05, you feel like you can slow it down and tell a story 
and maybe get back towards the roots of the way television was produced a, a couple of generations prior. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing that changed that whole landscape was the minute by minute ratings, right? The quarter hour ratings, as you mentioned, certainly you're on the money there, but then when it was, def- it was, uh, redefined in the rating situation where the, they were minute by minute ratings, you really got a, a good look at what people were watching and what they were not watching. Batista now taking back over, uh, you know, just using his power straight ahead power. The crowd's starting to get with it. You know, some are standing, some are cheering. They know that the end might be near. And then, of course, Edge tries a cross body. Batista ducks, and there is your referee bump. Chad Patton goes down. Batista, with a hard body slam, just, again, power, power, power. That's his calling card. And he played it really, really well. And I hope that Lawler and I did it justice because we were trying to accentuate what that was going on. And then the referee's down. Here comes Tonko with a big kick right to the face. Both Tomko and Christian are in the ring, beating the shit out of uh, Batista. Edge makes his way back up, but the referee is still down. So this mugging goes undetected by the official. And then here comes the Nate coming to the rescue. Yeah, we're going to try it here. Flair got speared. I thought he was going to come out of his alligator shoes. So the referee is still down. God bless him. He may be in life, on life support by now. I don't know. Long time <laughs> down. Spine buster on Tomko by Batista. Here comes Christian. We'll give you one too. So you don't feel left out. And now the obligatory clothesline. Tomko's out of the picture, out of the ring. Christian, same thing, goes out of the ring, takes a great bump. But then there's another sphere that looked like the end was there. It was over. Flair's selling in the ring. The referee's crawling toward Batista, and the pen, the shoulders are down. We've got a one new champion coming up, but here we go with the three, and it's a kickout. And Edge can't believe it. He's pulling his hair. Lita's running around like her drawers are on fire. She slides in the briefcase. Look at the so crowd. It, look, it really looks like the the, the that the it's it's going to be over here. Referee still is incoherent. The crowd and Edge has got Edge's got a weapon, man. Conrad. Here we go. Let's track it. Come on, up the box. My God, Batista! He had that metal briefcase. What a slam to Edge! Raw, animalistic power. I like the look of this. Goes down, and we know what that means. Edge, Edge, Batista bar, Batista bar. The leg is up. Very cool match. And, and look at the crowd reaction, man. You know, it's fun to go back and watch this stuff because we sort of watch these shows in a vacuum. It's not like, you know, we've been watching the TV leading up to it or the pay-per-view the night before or whatever, but to see the crowd react visibly jumping out of their seats, raising their hands. It's just, it's cool to see, uh, what works and what doesn't work. And, and that's why I enjoy watching these shows with you because you can sort of pick up little things that maybe you didn't see the first time. Yeah, and I love uh, the energy that Lawler and I were able to conjure up. Uh, Flair looking up at Batista, and Batista with a sigh of relief. I got through this damn thing. They, they threw everything at me. I didn't quit. I overcame. 
and uh, the niche was a, a viable part of me retaining. But you got to understand something's going on behind those blue eyes of the nature boy. <laughs> yeah. To, to tell the story the week before Batista bailed out Rick and now Rick has reciprocated. Uh, he's returned the favor. And of course we know that they're former evolution stable mates, but now Batista's out on his own and he's beat triple H for the world title at WrestleMania. And, uh, it's nice to see him back, but wait a minute. What is that? And I'm with you, man. You would think by this point, that the word would be out on Ric Flair. Dirtiest player in the game coming up. Batista's <laughs> trusting the nature. Bad mistake. Dave. Should, I, should I ask sting about that? <laughs> and boom, what a low blow right in the end bag as Taz would say. And here comes triple H that menacing walk to the ring with sledge hammer in hand, evil intentions personified etched across the face of the cerebral assassin. And I gave him that nickname, by the way, Vince loved it. Good shit. Jr. Good shit. Thanks Vince. Do you think, uh, triple H is Batista's greatest opponent? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And they, and they learned a lot that, uh, Batista learned a lot from being around Rick and triple H this try this trio here in the ring now, and there's a, the hammer, the sledgehammer shot right to the side of Batista's head. He takes a big bump to the outside. And so now we leave the air with angst and heat and triple H knows what he wants. He wants the world heavyweight championship and with Ric Flair as his primary uh, asset. Who's to say it's not going to happen sooner than later. Our beloved champion is in trouble. Here's another look at the low blow. Flair did the best low blows of the business. Kaboom. And Batista did a hell of a job selling it. And then you don't have to work too hard to sell the, uh, the sledgehammer to the head. It's kind of a, a finale. Now Batista's bleeding. So we go off the air with triple H just beating the holy hell out of Batista. Who's a bloody mess and good heat by triple H. He's very aggressive here. He's taking, he is maximizing his minutes and Flair's laughing. He loves it. Evil old bastard. <laughs> and here we go. This one, the uh, steel steps are at ringside. Triple H just sent Batista sailing into those. They come unhinged. And so the world champion has never been in a more disastrous situation as the world champion, as he is right now. There's a big story to tell. We had another story after, and, and I like the way we segued out of that thing. We didn't bury edge and, and Lita. Not at all. It just it segued out of it because we went, we went right seamlessly into another story. It's sort of like, and we just saw this in an older show. When we did the music city showdown, you guys seamlessly went from, you know, flare steamboat right into flare funk and sort of the same thing a generation later here. So a long, uh, post main event segment there on the outside, but Batista's bleeding like a stuck hog. Daddy would say, and uh, Lillian after her love affair with v viscera is making scrambling around to make sure she didn't get any friendly fire. And so here comes the Batista's back in the ring. Triple H is back in the ring. And more importantly, the sledgehammer's back in the ring in possession of the man that wants to be champion. You notice Triple H got those sideburns. You know where that came from? That's a Harley race deal. Triple H always had such great respect for Harley. 
and those big uh, mutton chops. Yep. That was a Harley race thing back in the day. Yeah. Our friend, uh, friend of the show, Cassio kid has decided to try that look during quarantine. He looks like a straight dumbass, though. Well, right, we're going to, we're going to uh, <laughs> we're gonna track this. This is good stuff. You want to fight me now? Hell in a cell. What is hell in a cell? So there you go. We've got a uh, collision course set now. Uh, The next big match on pay-per-view is Batista defending his world title against his old stable mate, Triple H. In a hell in a cell match, and we're going to go off the air here, and he's going to try to, looks like pedigree Batista, right on top of his own world title to close the show. And that's what he does. There's the exclamation point to the whole scenario. They've made full circle. They shot the angle. They, they, they culminated the angle. They put a bow on the angle with the uh, pedigree on the belt, the strap, and we go off the air with credits, a bloody championship belt with Batista's own blood on his own title. Not a, not a bad piece of business, Conrad, not a bad piece of business at all. No, it was a really good show. The night after judgment day, the uh, SmackDown pay-per-view. So now it's time to start selling some raw pay-per-views. So we push one nice stand and we at least let everybody know what's coming with Batista and triple H it's a world title match inside of hell in a cell. That's going to go ahead and wrap us up this week. We appreciate you guys tuning in and doing a little watch along with us. Uh, also check out adfreeshows.com If you haven't already. Uh, Jim and I went back and reviewed an old rock and roll express versus midnight express match from mid South TV in 1984. Uh, that's right in JR's wheelhouse. He had a great time. I did too. I think you'll dig it. Check it out at adfreeshows.com. And don't forget next week right here, Jim, our topic will be when stone cold walked out in Oh two. Of course, he wasn't happy with creative, maybe a little burnout. And, uh, when he walked out, you, uh, took to TV and had some pointed remarks for him that maybe you regret. We'll find out next week, but it was, uh, an interesting time for the biggest star in the business to say the least fair to say. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I covered that well, Conrad, and you know, I talked about this and under the black hat, uh, that whole scenario, uh, you know, Steve was burned out. We'll, we'll talk about it next week as a bigger back, big backstory. It was, it would be the equivalent of in this heyday of Hulk Hogan having an issue. I mean, Austin was the, Austin was the guy and, uh, but he, he was also, uh, uh, I think going having some issues, personal issues, uh, the creative was not up to his standards. And, uh, so he took the, the path of, of, of just taking this ball and going home. And I had to do some interviews at Mr. McMahon's insistence. Uh, and I was very uncomfortable doing them. I didn't, I'd rather have not been a part of that uh, process, but, uh, that was not my call. And the, the coach called the play and God damn it, Conrad, I ran the play, whether I liked it or not. We'll get into it next week. When stone cold walks out, uh, until then he is at JR's BBQ. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Our show is at JR grilling and we are out of time. We'll see you next Thursday and every Thursday only on Westwood one. It's grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.